Amen. You know, as a leadership, we always uh, wonder about the best way to communicate things in the life of the church. And, um, you know, every year we have vision for things that we're doing and changes sometimes that we're making in the life of the church. And we think about the best way to tell those things to you. Sometimes in the past we've had vision banquets, you know, and set aside whole nights. Other times we've had congregational meetings or that kind of thing. And, well, this morning I'm going to roll out, I guess, what is the one uh, shift in our focus for the fall. I'm going to roll it out in the middle of a sermon. So, you know, sort of is the application and, uh, and hope that it works, that it doesn't, you know, that does all right for the sermon and for the rollout, so that it all uh, works together. So uh, bear with me. We hope that that comes together for us. We are in Mark chapter 1, 29 to 39. Um, so I want to talk about some of the changes in, uh, in the direction or sort of our focus as we move into the fall by talking about spiritual margin and leadership, looking at the life of Christ a little bit, getting a little vignette, a day in the life of Jesus, and, uh, and, and to notice some things about uh, his own spiritual life and his own leadership. So we are in verse 29. Hear then the word of God. It says that immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her, and he came, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon, Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I have come out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as a people, as your people, as a family. We have come to sit at your feet and to learn of you. We pray as we uh, get a day in the life of Jesus' ministry and busy life and leadership that you would uh, give us some insights into our own souls and our own life and our own rhythms that we may do it better. Uh, We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mark's gospel is a story of action. Mark wants the reader to have a sense of urgency and a sense of action and a sense of pace in Jesus' life. And the way that he does this is by using the word immediately. Um, That occurs uh, time and again. Things are happening quickly. If you look back in verse 10, it says that, uh, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. In verse 12, it says the Spirit then immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And then verse 18, it says, and then immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And then again in verse 20, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee and uh, followed him. Then when you get toward our uh, 
context of the passage that we're looking at in verse 21, it says, and when they came into Capernaum, uh, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue. In verse 23, it tells us, and immediately there was a, in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit who was crying out. And we have this power encounter between Jesus and the spiritual world. And then in verse 29, where we picked up, it says, immediately he left the synagogue. And he went into Simon, Simon Peter's house, and it says that immediately they tell Jesus in verse 30 that Peter's mom is sick. Right, so you get this pace that things are happening. Jesus is moving on. Things are popping up in front of him, and he keeps moving in this pace, in this urgency of ministry. Verse 31, after they immediately tell him about her, it says, 31, that he came to her, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and her fever left her. And she's instantly healed by his touch and his grace. And then in verse 32, we see it says that at evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. Right? The crowd forms at the door at sundown. The crowd begins amassing outside the front door of Peter's house. Now, why at sundown? The reason it's at sundown they show up is because it's the Sabbath. And Jesus may be bold enough to heal someone on the Sabbath, but the crowds aren't so bold as to, uh, to go against the, uh, the, the sense of the church. And so they show up at sundown after the Sabbath has ended, looking for Jesus to heal them, to deliver them. In verse 33, it tells us, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Right? They're queued down the block. Right, when it says the whole city, we know that there's probably hyperbole. You know, there may have been a few who didn't come, you know, a few who were doing something, you know, but the, you get the idea. Like the whole city is a hyperbole to say that the masses were outside the door when he had healed in the synagogue that day. They said, let's go find him. And that night, everybody and their brother wanted to hear his teaching and to feel the touch of his hand, his healing. So in verse 34, it's just what happens. He healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. He wouldn't permit, permit the demons to speak because they, they knew him. He spends his night healing and delivering this group of folks that have showed up at the door, and so God's power is revealed even as he casts out demons, but also in a word he silences them. Right, so we see God's power is revealed in his ministry and God's love is revealed in his ministry as one by one he heals the sick and he's delivering the oppressed and the possessed. And then everything shifts gears. In verse 35, it says, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Right? It's like the whole world comes to a standstill after the busyness of that day where immediately he's in the temple and immediately he's leaving the temple and immediately they're telling him about mom and immediately he's healing them. And you know how at sundown, he didn't say immediately, but at sundown it seems like immediately they all started gathering at his door and you know, it's already dark and he starts you know, to minister and to heal and to do his thing, but he, he starts at dark and it looks like he works late into the night. And then everything in verse 35 just comes to a screeching halt as Jesus rises early while it's still dark and he slips out. He makes his way out of town. He finds an isolated spot and it says, and there he prays. 
He spends time with the Father. He gets away from the clamor and the demands, the lines and the people and the pressure and the expectations. Right? He gets away from it all. He slips out. He literally sneaks out of the house to find this place, to be with the Father, to find perspective, to find strength and grace to keep on keeping on. But there's no rest for the weary, is there? Verse 36, it says, when Simon and those who were with him, they were searching for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Where have you been? Where did you go? Don't you know that the crowds have gathered? You know, they've got expectations. You know? You, you know, I don't know how late he ministered into the night, but we're pretty sure the whole town was there. He didn't finish, right? And so they're at the front door, again, looking for Jesus, and his disciples figure out, where did he go? So they go looking for him, and they find him. They discover his absence, and they hunt him down, and everyone is looking for you. You ever feel that way? Everyone wants a piece of you. But listen to Jesus. Having spent time the morning with his father, he has his own ideas. But he's he's able to formulate his own sense of purpose and direction of what should be done next. And he says, let's go on to the next town so that I can preach there also. Let us go on to the next town, to the disappointment, I'm certain, of those crowds, everyone who is looking for him, looking for him to do the same things, looking for him to continue the same ministry, looking for him to come back and do what they think he should do. But Jesus says, we're going to go on to the next town. He decides to move on. Despite the pressure and the opinions, he makes a decision to lead his disciples forward to the next thing. And so the first thing we need to notice as we think about, I want us to think about some spiritual margin and spiritual leadership in the life of Jesus. And when we think about spiritual margin in Jesus' life and our own, the first thing we need to notice is Jesus is a busy man. Right? Jesus is a busy man. He didn't didn't live, you know, we talk about a life of balance and, you know, those kind of things. And sometimes, I mean, most of us, you know, we look for that life of balance. Very few of us ever achieve a life of balance, you know, it's this constant seesaw of trying to get balance and that kind of thing. But what we notice is Jesus is in high demand. Jesus is a man on a mission. Jesus is a man who has people pressuring him on every side because they want things of him. They want a piece of him. Jesus is busy about the Father's business. And there's nothing wrong with being busy with two caveats. He was busy about the right things. He's busy about the right things, and he had spiritual margin in his life. You and I, you know that we're busy people. But very often it's a very different busy than Jesus. We are often a crazy busy. It's a new book. It's come out in the last few years. If you haven't seen it, it's called Crazy Busy. Describing our culture, describing us, and the pace that we often keep as we're running ragged. People ask you how you're doing, and I do it all the time myself. They ask you how you're doing, and the answer is usually one of two things. Busy. Tired. I often say, you know, well, but tired. <laughs> um, you know, there are these answers, but, they, but they're revealing. How are you doing? Oh, it's, 
It's busy. It's crazy busy. It's always crazy busy. And one of the reasons is that we're often busy about the wrong things. We follow the culture's lead in filling our schedules in, in terms of, of what, you know, everybody else is doing. And we've, we tend to just kind of follow. The, the culture is, is picking up speed like a rock rolling downhill. And we just kind of find ourselves rolling downhill with it, you know. And, and everything just picks up speed. We may not be busy about the right things. And sometimes we just follow the culture's lead rather than wrestling with God about what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. We often don't know because we haven't had the margin to take the time to stop and be with the Father to wrestle and to think about what's the next right thing that I should be doing rather than just rolling on down the hill. Now that's a sermon in its own right. But I don't have time for it because I want to talk about spiritual margin and spiritual leadership. And I want us to notice how Jesus creates spiritual margin in his life. And you know what margin is, right? You look at the page of your Bible, and the words don't start on the edge of the page and end on the edge of the page. Start at the top and go right to the very bottom, right? There's margin, right? There's space around it that gives some definition. It's a little easier on the eye. It's a little easier to read. There's room if you want to take a note or something or, you know, put a thought down or something. It creates margin around it. And I think this is a, is a nice picture for our lives. We have to have some margin. I've talked about it in terms of our money, that we don't have our money running from here to here and spending every penny of it to the edges, you know, and that we can't do one extra thing or give one extra penny without going into debt or something, that we should have some margin, Right? That we should, we should shape our lives in such a way that we've got a little margin, a little wiggle room, you know, with our money but with our time because we need to be with Jesus. The gospel reveals that this is the rhythm of Jesus' life, that no matter how busy he is, he gets alone with the Father. No matter how busy he is, it's his, it's his rhythm, it's his habit. In Luke 5, 15 and 16, it says that now even more the report of him went abroad, right? And the more the report gets out and the more people hear about it, he heals sick people, right? If you were born with an illness, he can heal you. You got injured, he can heal you. You know, you feel oppressed or possessed by demons, Jesus can heal you. The word gets out, and whether you're one of the sick people or you just want to see it, everybody and their brother is looking for Jesus. And great crowds began to follow him. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to be healed of their infirmities. They wanted to see this thing. But he would withdraw to desolate places. Right? And you get there the sense of repeated action, right? But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. No matter how big the crowds got, no, no matter how much the demand, no matter how busy his life got, Jesus had margin. He made space to be alone, or not alone, but to be with God. Oh, we are so desperate for this in our culture these days. And as a church, Matthew 14, 23, it says, After he dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening came, he was still there alone. Right after he dismissed the crowd. So the question is, when do you dismiss the crowd? 
You know, who, who is the crowd? I mean, it could be your children. It could be your, your spouse. It could be your coworkers, your bosses, your people, you know, and all the people in your life who want a piece of you. And then when do you dismiss the crowds to be with him? To, to be still and know that he is God. Time with the Father. You know, it's, it's the open secret of the spiritual life. It's, it's the secret, in a sense, the key, the secret to the spiritual life is, is the spiritual margin of time with God. But it's like an, it's an open secret because we all know it. We just have trouble doing it. We have trouble cultivating that rhythm. I like that word rhythm as I think about my life, about my days, that there should be rhythms, healthy habits, uh, pace that we keep in, in ways that we regularly do it. And so we need this, this rhythm, space around the edges of our busyness in order to be with God and to find refreshment and perspective, right? Spiritual margin to find rest, to talk to Him, to think, to reflect, right? To think and reflect about, about my relationships and about my actions, about my words, about my soul, about where I am and to remember who I am, time to, to be with him and to seek and to ask and to knock and to worship. We need margin space so that that becomes part of the rhythm of our lives. Jesus' life was busy. I would suggest that his heart was not busy. And is that possible to have a busy life with enough spiritual margin that our hearts aren't busy, that our, that our souls aren't always weary, even in the midst of, of the busyness and the demands that, that even God sometimes brings into our lives? Is it, is it possible in the midst of the busy to be focused and, and full? To develop a center of quiet, a source of strength, room for God, to be full of his spirit because we've been in his presence. The biggest challenge is time, isn't it? <laughs> and all of you are going to say, where am I going to put that? I get up here, I go to bed here, I got to do this, I got to run there, I got to, you know. I don't know, that's between you and God, right? All, all I'm telling you is you need it. You should want it. And the Bible in many ways, commands it. Because it tells us to pray, and it tells us to worship, and it tells us to be still. Time. I would suggest it was not easy for Jesus to find time either. Right? Jesus did what he had to do. It says he got up, right? What does the text say? It says he got up very early while it was still dark, and he literally snuck away so that he could be with the Father. He needed it. He wanted it to focus his soul on the Father, to drink from the well of life, to be refreshed. He knew he could not keep on keeping on if he did not feed his own soul. Right? We have to decide what the most important thing is. I would suggest to you that this thing, this marginal space with God, is not a, an extra thing that you could tack on to life. I would suggest it is the most important thing in your life life or that should be in your life. It's not one of them. It's not, you know, as you make your list, I would suggest of all of every, 
It is literally the most important thing, the business of your soul in this life. It's the most important thing. We have to decide it's the most important. We have to believe and know at some level that it is or we're not going to do it. That it is the most important thing, and we need to make a plan. We plan for it. If I'm going to have a rhythm of it, where, where am I going to, how am I going to adjust, what am I going to do, that there is this rhythm that includes God. And we may need to seek accountability, and we could spend weeks talking on this topic, but I would suggest to you that the power and the comfort and the joy of your spiritual life depends on this margin. And so we see how margin fuels Jesus' busyness, but I also want us to notice how it shaped his leadership. Because the number one hardest aspect of leadership is the pressure of what others think you should be doing. And what Jesus' time away allowed him to do, away from the demands of the crowd and the pressures to be alone with the Father, was that Jesus was able to cultivate purpose and direction without or independent of the crowd. Disciples had one vision for what Jesus ought to be doing. right? They had one vision, and, and their vision was driven by the pressure of the crowds. Right? They were looking for Jesus. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? It's time to come back. It's time to pick up where you left off. These folks are looking for you, right? They had a vision, an expectation of what was going to happen next, right? The crowds went home. You got a little bit of sleep, you know, but they're back, right? Jesus, come on. They're looking for you. Keep on doing what you were doing yesterday. People benefited from your ministry, from your teaching, from your healing. And so Jesus has this group behind him with expectations, and it seems so obvious to that group, they're all looking for him. It's very obvious to them what Jesus ought to do next, to to do what he'd been doing. But in front of him also, there are new opportunities. Jesus is looking at at the, the entire spectrum of possibilities in the entire country of Israel, I guess we would have to say, in the entire region. And Jesus is is looking and seeing others would be blessed. Others would be served. Others would be healed. Others would be excited about his ministry if he were to go on to the next town and leave that one town behind. Jesus has to choose knowing that no matter what he chooses, someone will be disappointed. And this is the nature of leadership, isn't it? That we have to make choices. That's what leadership is, to get in the front and in some sense make choices, give direction, you know, cast vision and purpose. And and it's not choices between bad things or bad things even in good things. And very often what leadership is choosing between is not even choosing between good things, Leadership is is trying to figure out what is the best thing, the right thing right now that we should do next amongst perhaps a myriad of good things that we could be doing. How do you choose? You know, there's no need for leadership if everyone agreed on what the next best thing to do was. We would just all do it because we'd all be agreed and we'd all know what it was. But leadership by definition then 
are the ones that make those decisions. How do you choose with so many good things and so many opinions and when some people would be excited and some people won't be excited? And Jesus, what he did was he got alone with the Father, away from the voices, the opinions, the expectations. And he sought wisdom and he sought perspective and direction and he comes away with a decision that he believes is the right next best thing to do. And you can see this playing out in the life of the church, the ordained leadership whose job it is to choose the best right next thing to do out of a multitude of things to do. It's their God-given role, knowing that every decision and every change will excite some people and disappoint others. Right? I mean, that's just the nature of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, the, it's, the, it's just the nature of the beast. It's the way that it is. Leadership is continually evaluating our programs and the needs of the congregation and asking God for direction. And what we've decided is over the last few years, it seemed clear to the leadership that Wednesday nights would be the most effective place to focus our efforts in discipleship and ministry. You know, there are things that have been going on already on that night. We've been spread out over a couple nights. There have been some years when this night is the high and this one has been off, and there are others when both, and we've spread ourselves too thin, and we've understood, you know, we're burning out you know, uh, uh, our, our volunteer base, and we want to steward our, our efforts. And so we have decided going into the fall that we think that it is wise to consolidate, instead of preparing and staffing two nights of children's ministry, to consolidate them into one night of ministry on Wednesday night, take the best of what we're doing on Sunday night, the best of what we're doing on Wednesday night, and combining them into a unique, robust program uh, for, our, for discipling our children. We believe Wednesday night is the best night to do it. But I want us to see the larger vision. We're looking at Wednesday nights and thinking that, that the way we want to focus our energies and to see Wednesday night is a night uh, are of discipleship in the life of the whole church. And so what we're thinking is this. The first thing that we're thinking about is moving it to a little earlier. One of the challenges we always have is doing it late enough that people can, can get home or have dinner or something, but doing it early enough so that people can get home and kids can get to bed. And there's this tension that we're always playing and for right now, we're thinking of moving it from to 6.15 to 7.30. I think it's a little bit earlier than we've been doing it last year. And then we want to see, um, uh, bring together to consolidate all of our ministries. The children's ministry uh, in this full reshaped version that we want to do. The choir will continue to meet at the same time. Youth continue to meet at the same time. There's room for some small groups. If you have a small group with some children and you want them in the children's ministry, there'll be several rooms in the building available for small groups so that you could do that if you wanted to dovetail. We're going to start an adult discipleship time. One of the things that's exciting to me is this uh, idea as we move small groups out of the building into different times, which has been a vision that Greg has been uh, working on and that we have been uh, pushing in the life of the church is moving our small groups uh, out of this building and into homes and, and on to all nights of the week so that they can meet any night that you want them to meet. And more and more of our, our small groups are meeting off-site in, in various places. There's still room. The building is still available on, on nights if you need it. Uh, but we're encouraging people to be in their homes. But because now my small group meets at, a, at an odd time and not in an evening, it frees an evening, and I'm excited to start an, an adult discipleship time on Wednesday night that is opposite all of this. Sometimes we'll discuss sermons. I'm going to do a sermon series on marriage 
uh, first five or six weeks in the fall. Um, and I'm going to say on Wednesday night we'll get together, and if we want to talk and get down to brass tacks on marriage, um, then let's do it. We'll do that for five or six weeks. I'm thinking after that I would love to do There's, you know, uh, leadership development. We would love to see happen in the life of the church, finding the right place for that. So we may carve out some blocks of time, 10 weeks in the fall after that, to do a theology for life kind of a class or theology for leadership. Once a month, we're going to have church-wide dinners. And so you see, we'll have children and youth and adult discipleship. The choir will meet. There's room for small groups. We'll do dinners once a month. The youth will likely continue to meet on Sunday nights. If there are small groups that want to meet on Sunday night, they're welcome to. Building could be available, or you can move them off-site. So that doesn't change. But we believe focusing the opportunities for every age group onto one night is a very exciting way forward. And it creates a broad spectrum of discipleship where we can, instead of dividing our efforts and our focus, is to pull it all together. Leadership believes it's the right decision, the best decision for right now in the discipleship ministry of the whole church. And so I've presented it in the context of this message on spiritual leadership and decision-making because, frankly, I want your support. You know, is, is I, I know that this, these decisions are sometimes received, as I say, there's some of you are probably, that's really exciting, and there are others of you who are like, what are you doing? You know, and, and I, under, I understand that, but I also want you to understand, you know, that the leadership loves this church, this leadership loves you, this, this church wants to do the best that it can in providing uh, ministry and using our resources of time and volunteers the best we can. And we believe this is the good rhythm going forward. Let me close simply by calling us back to doing the most important thing. And that is to cultivate a rhythm of margin. It's the open secret of the spiritual life. Space around the edges of your busyness to be with God. Spiritual rest. Worship. Perspective where you can think, where you can reflect on all of those things in your life that you want to see grow and take shape. Spiritual margin is what fueled Jesus' work and his leadership. It's what gave him strength and direction and purpose, which is what we all need, from the leadership of the church down to your family and your life. I am convinced that the power and the comfort and the joy of your spiritual life is found in that margin where you've made room for God. So let us live our busy lives, but may our hearts not be busy and our souls not be weary, but rather focused and full and able to give because we have received. Will you cultivate a center of quiet, a source of strength by creating space for God? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the way that you love us and love your church. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who not only gives us a pattern, a rhythm for a life with you and what it means to walk with you and to do life with you at the center, with you providing the strength and the grace and the rest and the power and the perspective and all of these things. Father, help us as a people to see that this is the most important thing. You are the most important thing. Let our lives and our time reflect the value that we place on a life 
lived with you. And Father, as we press ahead into a year of ministry, help us to draw together and press ahead in, in unity and understanding and even excitement about what you will do in the life of your church this year. We ask and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.